Okay. Uh, before we go forward, let's just all stand, please, and get a little change of position. I'm going to get situated here. All right. Uh, it would be nice. There's lots of uh, guests here this morning, so it would be real nice if we could get around here and, and have everybody introduce yourself. But um, why don't you just take three deep breaths? You won't, I won't make you do that. You can have a seat again. <laughs> don't want to scare you. I want to take this opportunity to thank the uh, youth group, uh, I guess Chad and Doris being youth advisors, and the youth group were here last night and uh, presented a very nice uh, dinner for the leadership team, and I want to thank you for that. It was very much appreciated. Thank you for all your hard work. Thank you for your support throughout the year, everybody, uh, to the leadership. I, I really appreciate it. <clears throat> uh, real quickly, on a different note, I shared last night at the close of our little gathering, and some of you other people here may or may not know about this, but I just want to mention this as a, as a prayer request. I'm going to read something to you quickly. Uh, I don't know how many of you know it, but in Haiti there was a uh, situation happening where some hostages were taken, and maybe, maybe people have more updates than I do, but uh, I believe yesterday there were 17 uh, individuals taken hostage from the CAM organization, the CAM organization. And it kind of hits home here with me because it's my relative. Uh, my cousin's son and his wife are there. Uh, Ryan and Melody Corver and their two young children are there, part of the group that was taken, uh, part of the 17. Uh, so they were taken hostage by some, some people, and I have not heard that they've been released yet. I think they're trying to get a ransom, some money together. And uh, I just want to read you that, this real quickly. This is from a man by the name of Philip Mass. Some of you may know him. I don't. Good afternoon, brethren. A prayer request here for Ryan and Melody Corver and family of the Shiloh congregation serving currently in Haiti as CAM school program director. Details are scarce at this point, but we understand they with their family were kidnapped today along with others. This was yesterday. Along with others, the total group numbering 17 on a bus trip to visit an orphanage and that the embassy is involved to a certain degree. Thank you for your prayers on their behalf, the entire group and their kidnappers. May God's name be glorified, and the witness of these dear Christians shine brightly in the darkness and situation that they are encountering. Uh, Ryan is Dan and Marilyn Corver's son. Dan is, a, is one of the pastors at a church in, in Wisconsin, my first cousin. So Dan, uh, Ryan will be his son. So there's a young family, Ryan and Melody, young family, two young children, and... Uh, I don't know who the other, sub, the other numbers are, uh, people, uh, but as far as we know, they are being held hostage as we speak here. So let's uh, bow our heads and just pray and ask God to protect them. Lord, we love you, and we know that you are a big God, and you know all about what's happening in Haiti right now with, these, with this situation. And I just thank you that you've given us your word and your promises that you're going to be with us and you're, we know that you're with them. And I pray that as they are being held, that they can be a shining light for you there, and that, they, that their faith and their testimony can be uh, convicting to their captors, uh, people that are holding them, and that those folks would uh, understand more about your love and, and give their lives to you one day. Uh, pray for safety for those who are kidnapped and that they will be able to be released unharmed. 
that's our desire, Lord, but most of our desire is that, that you would be honored and glorified and your, your will be done. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Keep that in your that situation in your prayers, if you don't mind. I don't know when we'll get more updates, but uh, kind of a serious situation there. If I was to ask you this question, why would you answer? What's, what do you think is probably the most uh, popular or most recited verse of Scripture? Somebody want to raise your hand? Thank you, Chad. Uh, I think that's probably pretty accurate. I don't know that. I can't give you a definite, but that's, we'd all agree that's a very popular verse, probably mostly quoted. And so do you know which verse would probably be mostly quoted among unbelievers? Thank you. <laughs> Y'all are pretty good. Matthew 7, 1. Brother Calder didn't know this, but he already started, introduced my message today. Uh, I don't think he knew that I, that I was going to be sharing today from Matthew chapter 7. But uh, he already read that passage. <clears throat> yes, I believe, and, and according to a Bible commentator named Dr. D.A. Carson, that would be the most popular verse quoted by unbelievers. Judge not that you be not judged. There we go. <clears throat> It's frequently quoted whenever someone's pointing out the sins or the faults of other people. The impression is that we should never make moral judgments in what we see in other people. So my question to you, though, is, is that really true? Is that true, that we should not make moral judgments in what we see in other people? Is that what Jesus meant when he said this? Are we never to make moral judgments about the right and the wrong of others? Can we never point it out when we see that? I'm convinced that Jesus' statement is often misused. Calder already said that. It's misused. It's uh, misquoted. I believe there's times when we, when we must judge. There's times when it's appropriate to point out the faults of others. I'd like to share with you a message today I've entitled, Measure Twice, Cut Once. Now, you think that's a crazy title for this, this message. Maybe it is. But it came to my mind as I was studying uh, to be a sermon title, uh, and the idea behind that title is, is to be very careful, very, very careful about pointing out the faults of others before you actually do it. And I think that's Jesus' intent here in this passage is being very careful, not that it should be done, it needs to be done, but as we'll see as we go along here, we must be careful in the process. <clears throat> You carpenters know this, this quote. You've probably heard it a lot. Measure twice, cut once, and save yourself a lot of headaches and save yourself a lot of junk material that you pitch back in the pile and start over again. If you're very careful in your measuring process and your cutting process, then you can probably save a lot of wood. Matthew 7, 1 through 6 is going to be our text today. <clears throat> little story. While waiting for an airplane... A woman entered a gift shop at the airport to buy herself a magazine. While she was there, she also bought a package of cookies. She then sat down to wait for her plane. A gentleman came and sat one seat away from her. He soon opened a package of cookies that was in the seat between them, and he took out one and he began to eat it. Shocked that this stranger would do such a thing, she immediately reached over and took one and ate it. Not saying anything to the man, then took another cookie, cook, the man took another cookie and ate it. And this prompted the woman to do the same. 
So they're back and forth, taking a cookie out of the container. This scenario continued to play itself out until there was only one cookie left. The man then picked up the cookie and broke it in two, leaving her the half. He then stood up and walked away. By now, the woman was completely beside herself. But before she could do anything, they announced that boarding would begin. After boarding, she was still upset until she reached into her purse and found a package of cookies. With this in mind, let's read our, our text today. Let's see if I get my thing to work here. There we go. So I'd like you to read this with me, everybody together. I do have it separated in color, uh, verse by verse, but this morning we're just going to all read it together. So let's begin with verse 1. Ready? Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again. Thank you for helping to read that. To judge or not to judge, that's the question for us today. And I think the proper answer comes when we take a closer look at Jesus' words in our text. Let's first note, though, his words, how they are frequently misused. Jesus, his words here are often used to forbid all manner of judgment. First of all, in times of adverse or unfavorable criticism, people will say, shouldn't judge because of this. For example, when you're pointing out a fault in someone. If you point out a fault, are you making the judgment? Yes, you are making a judgment. If you point out a fault, you are making a judgment. Is that wrong? Not necessarily. You've probably heard the term constructive criticism. That is a is I should say, is that a positive or a negative thing? And again, the answer is yes. Meaning it could be, but maybe not. Positive or constructive criticism. It focuses on providing constructive feedback, if it's done properly, constructive feedback in a friendly manner with good intentions, supported by specific examples to help you improve in some areas. So if I'm going to give somebody constructive criticism, I have good intentions. They have a little bit of something that's not quite right, so my intention is, is to help them to see what's not quite right. Maybe they can improve it and they can better themselves and help the situation out. And so I have good intentions, and I want to help them, and I, and I try to do it with love and care and concern. And that's not wrong. And it, it's good relationships with me and the other person, and it helps them to improve their whatever it is. I didn't use an example, but that's not wrong necessarily. But if I, if I come with a bad attitude or not without, with love, I can call it constructive criticism, but it's, it can be uh, the opposite. So we've got to be careful how we approach it. Secondly, to forbid the exercise of church discipline. People will say, see, 
Judge not that you be not judged. That means we should not be doing this church discipline stuff. Really? First of all, do you understand that exercising discipline of any sort requires judging others as to their moral or their spiritual condition? That comes with child training. When you discipline children, that's judging. There's a judging judgment that's happening. Church discipline or employer-employee relationships. Sometimes the employer has to discipline the employee with some, you know, time off from work or whatever, sent home early or whatever. That's making a judgment, is it not? It's a form of judgment. Judgment is involved. And some people feel that verses 1 and 2 rule out any sort of church discipline. They, they don't. They understand the child training thing and maybe the employer thing, but when it comes to church, some people get really touchy on that and like, church doesn't have any God, you know, they shouldn't be telling me what to do. People can't tell me what to do. Well, really? Well, they might have to speak into our lives sometimes. People have, we need to speak in, into each other's lives, but with love and with care. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't like to be told what to do, pointing out anything in their lives. Another one, to forbid exposing those who teach error. Okay, so, so sometimes there's teaching of error that happens, and a judgment needs to be made. That needs to be stopped. That needs to be confronted. It requires judgment. But they like to hang on to verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. Uh, they believe that speaking out against this error is judging and it's wrong. Is that what Jesus meant? Is that what Jesus meant when he, taught, when he taught this here on the Sermon on the Mount? Must we remain silent and enter into quietism when we see people overtaken in a fault? Or when they're bringing reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ? Or when they're blatantly teaching error? Must we remain silent? Because judge not. Thank you. I agree. That is not what Jesus meant. Jesus did not rule out all forms of judgment. Let's first look at the immediate context here in these verses. <clears throat> they reveal that in some cases, proper judgment must be made. Let's look again at verse 6. If you have your Bibles open, that's fine, but if not, they're very familiar verses. Verse 6 says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. So this verse implies judgment, does it not? It implies judgment as to who are the dogs and who are the hogs. That's a judgment. Otherwise, how can we know when not to give that which is holy to dogs? Or how can we know when not to cast our pearls before swine? We must make a judgment. We must judge at times. There's no way around it if we're going to do and be faithful to what Jesus taught us to do. And just a bit later in this chapter of 7, verses 15 through 20, it implies that we must make judgments in determining who is a false teacher. Where it says in these verses, by their fruits you will know them. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree, bad fruit. 
A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Taking us back up to the verse 15 where it talks about being aware of false prophets. Wherefore, therefore, be, by their fruits you will know them. <clears throat> Judgment. Now let's consider the remote context. That was immediate in these verses, but... There are some other things. It speaks of times when judgment must be made. In other places in Scripture and by other writers, this is not Jesus speaking coming up here, but he spoke, the Holy Spirit spoke through these people, these writers. Jesus taught people to judge with righteous judgment. First of all, John chapter 7 and verse 24. The Apostle John said, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Christians have a responsibility to judge those who are inside the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, and yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? And here we go. Do you not judge those who are inside? Implying that that's, yes, that's what we do. But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. The person called a brother involved in these things, Jesus says, Put them away from you. That's a judgment, but it's righteous judgment. There's no contradiction here, and we're going to see that as we continue on with our text. <clears throat> we're taught by the Apostle John, again, to test the spirits. This requires making judgments. Here we go. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but... Test the spirits, judge whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let's move on. Jesus defines what he's condemning. He defines what kind of judgment he judging he is condemning. Judging when one is blind to his or her own faults. That's a problem. Let's read again our text verses. I'll read it. You, you follow along. Verses 3 through 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how do you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. According to William Henderson, Hendrickson, excuse me, He's a New Testament scholar and a commentator. He said, Jesus is saying that it is wrong for anyone to concentrate his attention on the speck in his brother's eye and while thus occupied to ignore the beam in his own eye. Paul, the apostle, taught the necessity of proper introspection. That's looking within, examining our own selves when helping other people. 
He says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. We need to measure twice and cut once. Now, don't take it wrong by that title by using the word cut as in being uh, sharp and being, you know, not kind. That's not what I mean by that title. Measure twice, cut once, speaking of being very careful. Examining ourselves closely, looking within, introspection, looking within before we launch out and, and pointing out that fault in our brother or sister. All right? Judging without mercy and love is another one that Jesus says is, is the kind that we need to avoid. Judging without mercy and love. Again, Mr. Hendrickson says, The Lord is here condemning the spirit of censoriousness, judging harshly, self-righteously, without mercy, and without love. That's what our Lord is guarding or teaching against. The Apostle James warned also of making judgments without mercy. In James chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if we make judgments without showing mercy, then no mercy will be shown to me when we are judged. So just as Jesus said in verse 2 of our text, he says, for without what judgment you judge, you will be judged with the same measure you will use that will be measured back to you. Uh, we need to be careful not to judge the motives of others, especially when we don't know the facts. And I'd like to share with you a poem that you can follow along. I'm going to read a poem that kind of illustrates this. Pray, don't find fault with the man who limps or stumbles along the road unless you have worn the shoes that he wears or struggle beneath his load. There may be tacks in his shoes that hurt, though hidden away from view, or the burden he bears placed on your back might cause you to stumble too. Don't sneer at the man who's down today unless you have felt the blow that caused his fall or felt the shame that only the fallen know. You may be strong, but still, the blows that were his, if dealt to you in the self-same way at the self-same time, might cause you to stagger too. Don't be too harsh with the man who sins or pelt him with word or stone, unless you are sure, yea, doubly sure, that you have no sins of your own. For you know, perhaps, if the tempter's voice would whisper as softly to you as it did to him when he went astray, it might cause you to stumble too. Again, we're not talking about not judging. We're talking about how to judge. What's proper? What's the proper way? We must do it. As brothers and sisters in the, in the church, the local body, we must judge. But we must be careful. Remember, only God knows what is truly in the heart and the mind of the man or the woman. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this does not relieve us of the responsibility to care for our brother and sister by pointing out their faults. But we must be mature, and we must be an open book. 
with our own lives. We're not to judge motives, but rather we're to judge conduct. One is inward, the other is outward. Let's say a policeman pulls you over for speeding. You say to him or her, don't judge me. You don't know my heart. You don't know what I'm going through today. And the officer looks back and he says, I'm sorry. I'm not judging your motives. I'm judging your conduct. You are speeding. The conduct is concrete. It's not abstract. It's objective, not subjective. So the implication in verse 2 of our text is not that we should never judge, but when we do judge, remember that we shall be judged by the same standards that we use. We need to let mercy and love temper our judgments. Finally, number four, Jesus implies that we must make judgments. He implies there are times when we must judge. After we have corrected our own faults is the first one. So after self-correction. He says in verse 5 of our text that we must remove the beam from our own eye. He says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So when we've done that, we are able to see clearly. We're able to discern. We're able to judge and be of help to others who are overtaken in a fault. Indeed, the law of Christ requires us to be our brother's keeper. The Apostle Paul again says here in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore, judge such a one. How? In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Then he says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So when we're doing this, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. This is what Christ expects us to do. Question, how will we know when we are judging rightly? How can we know when we're judging rightly? Answer, by checking the attitude of our hearts. Is the judging done out of spice or out of malice? Is our judging based upon self-justification? Is the judging done out of a sense of vindictiveness? They got me, so I'm going to get them back. Is the judging done with a self-righteous or superior attitude? Or is it done in an attitude of love? To judge rightly is to lift up God's word rather than our opinion. We must judge between those worthy and those who are hogs and dogs, according to Jesus. Note carefully, verses again, and I'm going to read verse 6 again. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Jesus says that some people are not worthy of that which is holy. Jesus said that. Some people are not worthy of that which is holy. He says some folks are like dogs and swine. We need to determine who it is that requires judgment on our part. Which of those are receptive? We are to be long-suffering in trying to help them come out of their error, but if they refuse and reject, we must judge, we must make a decision, 
and walk away. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Paul says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel to be gentle, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. But for those who are not receptive, we are not to waste what is good and what is holy on them. We try, we're patient, we're loving, we're gentle, but when they refuse or they reject, we need to stop and not waste what is good and holy on them. It's similar to the instructions that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. Follow along. And when you go into a household, this is Jesus, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. That's making a judgment right there. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Also, a similar uh, is the example that Paul gives us here, the example in Acts of Paul and Barnabas at Antioch. Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 46. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had, hurt, had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the, the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Paul made a judgment and turned to the Gentiles. The kind of judging forbidden by Jesus is that which is self-righteous, hypocritical judging, which is false and calls down God's judgment on itself. This is the kind of judging that was also condemned by the Apostle Paul, or excuse me, the Apostle James, when he wrote in James 4, verses 11 through 12, I don't think I have it on my slide, do not speak evil of, you, of one another, brethren. Who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Here are you to judge another. So, again, Apostle James giving caution to the type of judging that we're doing. May God help us to refrain from such judging. Instead, to be more apt to remove the beams from our own eyes. And then we will be more useful in helping others with their problems. <clears throat> but to say that we should never judge is to abuse what Jesus teaches, not only in this passage, but elsewhere as well. So as was shared earlier, just remember, as you go about your life, 
people come to you and say, judge not, you're not supposed to judge. Well, just be careful with that. Be careful with how it's being said or what they're talking about because we are to, we are to judge certain ways at certain times. In our text today, Jesus is clearly calling us to self-reflection, introspection, looking within, scrutinizing ourselves, self-analysis, not quietism. And that's what a lot of us are prone to do, myself included, quietism, getting back in the cave, not confronting the situation, not talking up when you see the wrong that somebody's doing. We just step back and like, look the other way, don't want to confront, scared to confront. That's not what we're supposed to do, people. Jesus said we're supposed to judge, we're supposed to confront those who are within. When there's wrongdoing, we need to deal with it, not just turn, turn our back and walk away. <clears throat> don't let others put you in a guilt trip. If they respond poorly to your God-given responsibility of sharing that concern. So remember, always measure twice and cut once. Examine yourself very closely before pointing out the fault of your brother and sister. May God help us and let's pray.